All right, welcome to the Urban Golf Podcast. We have a little special episode the day after Colin Morikawa's big win at Concession, and we have a special guest on, his coach Rick, Rick Sessinghouse. We got so much to talk about. I mean, Paul Azinger's chipping tips, Marco Maris putting tips, like what happened? But first of all, Rick, how did you experience yesterday? Well, I experienced it on my couch, nerve-wracking, watching every shot and throughout the whole day. Yet, it was a, it was a weird time because I was, uh, of course, super confident in in Colin and that he would play well. You never know how the rest of the field's going to do if somebody goes and shoots 64 or something like that. But um, exciting, uh, see how everything unfolds. And for all the hard work he's put in, he deserves it. But yeah, I watched every shot on TV yesterday. Same here. About eight hours in my couch. It was it was nerve wracking, but it was also interesting. And they talked about it afterwards, just how Colin put pressure on the chasers. You know, can you talk a little bit about like, do you talk to Colin before his last round or, or how, how does the coaching work during the week? Because, you know, he's shown now, you know, time over time again, like how strong he is and when the pressure is really high, when, when he, he needs to step up, he steps up. Yes. No, again, and it's a wonderful trait he has. And we, of course, continue to try to cultivate that. And one of the goals going into the, this calendar year was to be in, con in contention more often. He got uh, a little down on himself after uh, in the fall and uh, wanted to get in contention again. So he, uh, he I, part of that was mindset. And I think back to what they were saying on Golf Channel is that he's putting pressure on those that are pursuing him is that he was playing to his strengths. And I think in this day and age, everybody needs to play to their strengths. And his, of course, his approach shots, his, his uh, course management, his is playing within himself. And he's not going to make silly mistakes. Yeah, you may execute a bad shot here or there, but he's not going to allow people to come back in getting outside of what his normal is. So throughout the week, we always talk our our pattern of coaching and player relationship has been the same for a long, long time. So even though I saw him at Riviera for about five of the seven days when he's out on the road in Florida, which I did not go to, uh, we talked after his Tuesday practice round. We talked after his Thursday first round. Uh, we texted after Friday and we talked after Saturday and just a matter. And some of those conversations, honestly, are two minutes long yeah, and because yeah. it's 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 not about overcoaching. It's about just getting a sense of where he's at. And if I feel he's good, then I just shut up and turn the phone <laughs> off. So he's, uh, and he, again, has a lot of those skills already there. But I think one of the, I think we could certainly talk about it, but his help by asking some questions out of Omera and Azinger, he's always curious. He's always out there learning and he applies what he thinks he needs. He doesn't apply everything that he goes out and learns, but he asks great questions. And I think our goal for the week was more about focus, was more about staying in every golf shot. And JJ, his caddy, did a wonderful job and they teamed up fantastic. I would say he he would agree that he made two mistakes on Saturday. One was a club choice area and one was maybe not being committed. And when that happens for him, it, it wakes him up even more. So then I go, oh, he's fine. So yeah. I knew yesterday he was fine because it Saturday after, at the end of that round, I think woke him up even more like, hey, I can't take anything for granted. It's time to, it's really time to go. And so, uh, yeah, super, super thrilled. But we, we are touching base throughout the week to make sure we have a game plan, make sure if there's anything that he has questions wise, 
And so, like I said, some of those conversations are two minutes, sometimes they're 30 minutes. Rick, what do you- Seems like, yeah, go ahead, man. Yeah, sorry, just my one question. What, 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 do you, what do you think it is? I mean, I've been asked this a lot. They're like, man, what's, what's separating Colin? Like, just, I had like 50 texts, like, what is the, what's the deal? <laughs> you know, and I'm like, it's just incredible success. I mean, it's, I mean, it's whole career, but really just a fast, one of the fastest starts in professional golf history to have this much success. And everybody's like, what, what separates him from that? And like, since you've been out there with him and watching this and you're there with him at the PGA when he won and you're watching all these other players and there's so much talent out there. I mean, you're the best players oh. in the world. What, what, what's separating him? Like, what, what would you say is, and I, I just sent everybody a emoji of a brain, but I say, you know, what's, <laughs> <laughs> but what, what is it that's separating him? Why, why is he so special and what's making this like such an incredible run, you know? Yeah, no, and again, I we can all put it under this it factor, but as we've looked at great uh, athletes and competitors, that it factor can be defined different ways. I, you know, I look at it from a young age. He was competitive. He wanted to learn. He was very coachable. He had a, we had a long-term plan instead of short-term fixes. I think going back to just past this weekend, he knows his game. He doesn't try to be somebody else. And that didn't matter in junior college or now in the professional ranks. He owns his game. Now, no, not only does he own his swing, like, hey, I'm going to hit cuts. I'm going to start it here. He owns his mindset. He owns that he loves being in competition. He loves being in contention. I think that's something, again, where I talk to people about the mental game. And uh, I think there's this misnomer that everything's about this process. And I get it but we have to embrace the outcome. We have to be excited to be in the mix. He wants to, he wants to freaking win. And if he doesn't, he's disappointed. But I think he gets excited about that instead of fearful. And it's a way for, we always talk about learning. Hey, whatever would have happened yesterday, he was gonna learn from. Now he learned from, he can, he can uh, sleep on the lead. Awesome. He can learn that people are chasing him. He can keep it going. So this is all about a learning process, but I would say he, I, I talk, he's always been competitive. He's always been coachable. He's always been buying into a long-term plan instead of short-term fix. And the guy knows how to make good decisions under pressure and doesn't try to deviate that from that. So, I mean, I could go on a long list, but I think those are well, the main. You can points. really see it, Rick. I mean, the joy in his eyes, like, that's the thing. It's like the big smile that, you know, my son was just like, so pumped when he's like big smile at the end makes it, you could just, he's like, I was like, when the champion smile, like really smile like that, like really when he finishes the last putt. And so just like, but just like how I can see what you're talking about when he's like on tee boxes and he's in contention, the way he like looks at the landscape, he's not, You'll see some of the guys at the highest level, they're just like kind of jittery or maybe grabbing stuff or looking down. And he's just like, he is looking forward with this like excitement, but like a calmness and excitement, you know? Yes. It's really how awesome. You, how did you develop that? Cause obviously, you know, he's a, he's a freak, but you also <laughs> developed him, right? So, uh, <laughs> you know, I remember you, saying something on another podcast we were on that, that really kind of stuck with me because everybody gets the first, you know, first tee jitters, you know, high pressure. Why do people, why do people cave under that? And what does he do? And one of the things that you said was you got to take in all the possible outcomes and even think about, Hey, what happens if I shank it off the tee here? Nothing's going to, I'm not going to, you know, die. I'm not gonna, you know, do ABC. A, I'm taking taking the outcome in and and kind of process it, and then go from there. Can you talk about that a little bit? Because I think everybody listening uh, gets nervous, 
and really doesn't know how to control the nerves on, on the tee. I mean, I was sure. I was probably more nervous than 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 Colin. I mean, those tee shots at concession. <laughs> I mean, I, I was I like, was. <laughs> I was like, every single hole there could could be a triple bogey. I mean, like, right. it was right. never over until it was over. I felt like. That's how I felt like in the couch, at least. Well, I totally agree. <laughs> I, I think, you know, we go back to perception is realities, right? So what we're perceiving in that moment is now our reality. We react to that reality. So a first tee shot can be uh, perceived as fearful. It could be perceived as exciting, it could be perceived as neutral. It's a golf shot. So we have the power to create a meaning towards that. And I think people are already, for whatever reason, wired about, you know, first tee jitters and you're supposed to be nervous and you're supposed to be fearful. It's like, you're not supposed to be anything. You get to choose that. And I think Colin at an early age, as we got through junior golf and college golf, you start to put people in uncomfortable positions and we get to learn from it. And he has at times when he was closing out a college event one time, I remember he said he got ahead of himself and he tried to be perfect. He said, that was not how we wanted to be. Great. We learned from it. Next time do this. So I think it's not looking at one result as, oh my gosh, it's earth shattering. It's, oh, I get to learn either way, but it is about perception. So sometimes we're nervous. I ask people all the time, is nervous good or bad? And then people kind of go, is this a trick question? And I go, you tell me. And, if, and usually I get the answer, it depends. So right, nervousness can be interpreted as fear of what could go wrong in the future, or it can also be interpreted as excitement. I can't wait to hit the shot. And I think Colin has an excitement, yet as, as Max says, he has a calmness about him too that keeps him present. Mm -hmm. And so that's that pull, isn't it? We've got a future result with a present base and it's back and forth, back and forth. And I think he does a very good job of being calm. Uh, we always reckon back now to the, the last round of the PGA and he admits that that was his most calm, deep focus he's ever been at. Now. When I talked to him about what happened in the last few days, I think he tapped into that. His caddy said he definitely tapped into that. So that's a mm. state that we are training over and over again. That's awesome. I, rem I remember uh, just the difference between me and Leo. Like on the, like I think early in the back nine, he like hit that little little wood off, you know, chipped up there, had a little like ten, yeah. eight, ten footer for par, makes it, and I'm like, game over, it's done. He won. And Leo's yeah. like early call, and it's just like he's stressing over tee shots. I'm like, it's over, dude. We start celebrating now. So. Well, I mean, I, I think I think it was Chris Mason that said it. Just how long a Sunday is for a player, especially when you're in a lead, it feels like a week. You know, that last round just feels like a a, a lifetime because every shot is so critical. And I could just imagine on a course like that, with a field like that, just how you, you take every shot and how much it takes off you. I'm sure after the round, you know, mentally, you're pr pretty exhausted, right? I mean, it's just... Yeah, and you bring up a good point too, is that when you're teeing off now at what was East Coast time, 1.50 in the afternoon, you wake up, you got a lot of time on your hands, yeah. right? Then you're warming up, you're seeing other guys already sh uh, making a few birdies and, and looking out there. I mean, there's a lot to take in that uh, is, again, a great experience for him. I think it, it, it served him well that it was on such a challenging golf course, too. I think that helps yeah. his confidence going, hey, uh, and again, I, it, I'm speaking for him right now, but it's like, I know I'm going to hit good drives. I know I'm going to hit good iron shots. Yeah. And guess what? You have to be precise out here. I think just fed to that. It would be different if we're playing one of these times where, you know, 28 unders winning and everybody has to go shoot 66. I think that's a benefit for him as he plays um, some of these challenging golf courses. Uh, he fits right into that. 
He, um, I looked at some stats that might be a little bit off, but I mean, I think he, I think he gained 14 strokes on the field in approach. And I think it was number one in putting. Is that, yeah. or... I haven't seen the, I haven't seen the, the, the weak stats. I was okay. going like round around a little bit, but yeah. yeah, approach shots were unbelievable. He obviously hits tons of fairways and that was one of the goals in the week. Once he saw the, the course Monday, Tuesday, he says, once I get into the fairway, right? That's his motto. Once I get in there, then it's game, game time over. because, yeah. right. Because we saw that, you know, a little bit off there didn't mean a bogey. It meant worse. It meant double or triple, which is odd on a PGA tour event. Usually they're in the rough. They can hack it out. They're going to be up and downs, but he knew that premium was getting in the, in the fairway first. And yeah. then, and then you have these greens with all the contours that there was quadrants and stuff like that, that he is getting very good. And him and JJ are very good at making decisions that match the green complexes coming in. Yeah. And so people understand like just how dominant he is because he's the best iron player in the world right now. Is it roughly, you know, he beats tour average with a six iron in his hand versus like a pitching wedge on average? Like what? Yeah, I, I think that's probably, I mean, that was a, something that happened years ago. They were they were kind of making a story out of that. I, I probably would, I would probably be saying six to eight iron, right? Yeah. So he's going to hit it closer from a six iron distance than somebody with their eight iron. And part of that, you know, that disparate, disparate, excuse me, that dispersion is crucial because, you know, we've got caught up in distance right now with the driver. And I think it's awesome that these players are pushing the limits. Mm -hmm. Yet you also have to understand that it's really whoever gets closest to the hole now has a better chance now to, to make par. So he's understood his game is I'm even if I land between 175 and 200, which a lot of us say is, oh, my gosh, that's a long way away. He's going bring it on. I, I can hit it to 18 feet, 23 feet, make one or two of those around, and then he's going to hit a few inside. Uh, that That's, I think, part, again, knowing your strengths, and we don't deviate and, uh, from putting himself in a position to uh, execute those strengths. Would you yeah. would you say, Rick, that he, you know, you talked about, you know, fans earlier and, and, and not having fans, and, and, and do you, would you say he, he blocks things out? Does he absorb the energy? What's the what's the mindset there? I mean, I know a lot of players look at it differently. They said Tiger in his prime was just like blinders on, blocking it all out. You think of Lee Trevino just like absorbing the energy of the crowd and of his playing competitors. What what's yeah. what's Collins what's Collins aura I, there? I like what you just said, absorbing the energy. I think he does a good job with that. I don't see him as somebody who tries to block out anything. Um, that's never been our motto because your your attention is going to be distracted throughout, even just for a few seconds. But he's very present to then pay attention to what is in his control coming up but I, I feel he likes the the crowd and the energy and and maybe seeing ahead of himself as if Kepka makes a birdie I think that he does pay attention to his environment and uses the information that he needs for that next shot does he it's funny to say present because he's also very present privately you know when you meet Colin it's it's very he has a very unique ability to focus and really active listen to yes. the person he's talking to and I remember you know he came back in and I saw him after he'd won I think his first two and I thought okay maybe he's going to be a little bit different you know we <laughs> we work with people that really like themselves and and Colin has always been the most humble and nice person and I thought, okay, maybe, you know, he's, you know, he's made it now. He's going to be a diva uh, now. <laughs> and it was pretty busy in the gym. And he was like the most, he was even more present. He was like completely locked in. And there was a lot of distraction around him. And, and he was just like right, so, so present, looking straight into your eyes, 
very, very um, focused. Obviously, it's, it's a great trait, both personally and performance-wise, but just really interesting side note. You know, being present in general might, you know, really help you on the golf course. You know, I think we see a lot of clients of ours that are not present privately, and they're, they're not able to be present on the golf course either. They're, they're somewhere else. Um, I, I, I totally agree with that. And sorry, sorry to cut you off. I, I, I think at an early age, I appreciated that when you have a 12 or 13 year old who's listening, looking you in the eye and asking great questions. Again, that goes with his upbringing, his parents, and he's just been that way for a long, long time. And I think you bring up an interesting point where I've always said kind of like, you know, we want to train to get a better golfer and be present on, on the golf course yet people could do this in life and people can be more engaged in a conversation More people can be, you know, present even behind the wheel of the car. I mean, that is, that's the old idea, right? We only have this moment. And I think he's done a, a great job of living that. Yeah. So let's talk about chipping out of the Bermuda. I can't, I still can't chip out of Bermuda. Um, uh, but Asinger gave him some, some advice there. Do you know what that was? Like, was there anything uh, that we can, uh, benefit from as well? Yeah, I, I don't have any specifics, to be honest with you, yeah. Leo and Mac. Um, secrets. It, it, yeah. it, it, I don't even know if it's secrets. Uh, <laughs> about, so it's interesting, a year ago, almost a year ago now, when the pandemic hit, we were at the Players' Championship, and earlier in that week, we spent a lot of time chipping. And he was going through wedges, and they, TaylorMade was making this and this grind and stuff like that. And you know, JJ and myself were were trying to figure some stuff out, and um, we were getting there. I'm not saying we had anything fi fixed, but he's get, hitting on Bermuda. And then you have the the pandemic hit, and then he's playing not necessarily Bermuda all the time. And and then we get back to it, and he got into some some chipping inconsistencies from a technical standpoint in the fall. Uh, we worked on something in Vegas, and he was trying to spin the ball so much that it was it was causing some different release points and now you put it on the bermuda and it just wouldn't work mm -hmm. there was just too much bouncing and too much stuff going on so we we simplified some stuff in vegas and it was looking better maybe the stats got a hair better but i think what you know azinger did was just a great job of keeping super simple hey it up a little bit use the bounce and keep the hands very passive i yeah. think is the gist of what they talked about they talked for about 10 minutes yet for, for Colin, it's once you take, he takes the information in, he thinks about it, does it a couple times. And then once he gives it his like personal stamp of approval, it's game time. Mm. He's ready. And so he's very good at processing an, an information, applying it, and then figuring out, is he going to use it or not in a pretty quick time? Same and with the, in this case. Yeah, no, and I, that's what's so impressive with the guys you know, he changed to the saw grip by Riv, and he was, I don't know, last in in the stats, or it was not good. And right. you know, and I was like, okay, well, you know, you know, changed the grip, didn't work that well. But he knew that it felt right, right. He he didn't Correct. care about the stats, and a lot of I think other players would care about the stats. And I think that's a that's a strong suit too. It's like, no, I believe in this. I'm going to continue. I don't care what the stats say and then actually push through and do that. Yeah, you, and you bring up a great point where we get stats obviously every week with ShotLink and TaylorMade uh, provides us with a ton of information. We look at stats a little, 
Okay, I, I, I think we have to to make sure that we're trending in where we want to go. But it's interesting. I was there for his final round at Riviera and I was with him all week. And I saw and his caddy, JJ, saw him starting his uh, his start lines with putt were great. So we're going fantastic. Great. We got that solved. His speed control got better. We go great. Now, that final round, he hit the ball very, very well. And I think he did miss 10 putts inside 10 feet. So that could have been a 64. Unfortunately, I think it was one or two over. Yeah. But afterwards, now he wasn't happy. Oh, he wasn't happy at all. <laughs> but when we talked, we I, I wanted to make sure he wasn't going to now put it away. And he's like, no, are you kidding me? I know my, I hit one bad putt all weekend. JJ said, no, the lines were great. So we knew we were on the right track. So now you had to get more repetitions and now you're going to Bermuda green. So we wanted to see, Hey, how is that going to process there? And I've never heard him more excited about putting. And you can hear that in, in, in after his post game and stuff like that. So he doesn't, he, he is a very, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of golfers. I mean, we're field players, right? We want to be comfortable and that's his word is comfortable. And he says, I'm comfortable. That's, that's the only thing I needed to hear. We'll figure out some nuances here and there, but um, I knew he was on the right track and obviously he, he put it to, to great use. And I think it wasn't really day one, actually day one a little bit, but that obviously day two, he's making all these birdies and shooting tying the course record. You now got into a rhythm of him making six to 15 footers. And that just, of course, builds confidence. Mm -hmm. And uh, then that that's, like I said, it's, it's lights out from there. Did Mark O'Meara, because he, he met Mark and saw him putt with it and asked him questions, were you, did you just kind of agree or were you there in, involved in that decision? <laughs> I wasn't involved in the decision, but, you know, Colin and I have known each other for a long time. Back in college, we had a funny, kind of a funny story where he would call me after a round of golf and like 30 seconds in, I would say, okay, which grip are you using on the putting green? You know, are you going crosshand? Are you going regular? Are you going right? So he's had some volatility with the putting grip in the past. So I, I'm always open. He's the player. I want him to be comfortable. I then look at it mechanically to see, okay, does it match what he thinks he's doing? Mm. In this case, he came, we worked a, a few days earlier on Sunday before Riv, and he comes out and goes, oh, I got something to show you. And I go, okay. <laughs> he goes, yeah, I'm just, you know, talking to Mark and, and just ask him a little bit about why he changed, stuff like that. And they talked like 10, 15 minutes. It wasn't yeah. like Omira looked at his putting stroke and said, you need this. It's just, Colin is always curious and said, okay, maybe this will work for me. And it was comfortable. And again, I then look at it and go, okay, what's your target line? Let's say he says inside left edge and he hits on the list. I go, looks great, right? So he's being comfortable and feeling it. I then have to now double check, is he really getting the results he wants? The ball's rolling on in target intended line though and stuff. Once we did that on Sunday, I go, let's go for it, you know? So we built, built from there, but I, Certainly, he's the player. He can experiment, but he's but I, he's not going to just do it for doing its sake. He thinks about it. He analyzes it. He feels it. So I know he's not just being flippant with it. That's amazing. Yeah. That commitment, you know, just having the commitment yes. to it, especially to have a week like that. I mean, Leo was ready to give up on it after Riv for sure, as he wasn't. <laughs> let's be honest, well, Leo. That, let's that be honest. Just, you were like, "What are they I mean, doing?" You were so frustrated. <laughs> no. Let's just let's just say that's why I'm not on tour. <laughs> that's how Leo, strong Leo, my dad. <laughs> You gotta trust the process, Leo. Come on. <laughs> I I wasn't that passionate, but I but I was questioning it, and I, and that's why I bring it up. Is like I'm sure other players that are maybe, I think what it is is like if you care a lot about what other people thinks of you, oh, it's a, a struggle. Deal. 
right? Because then you're you're gonna always fight that, and I, yeah. I, that's what I see in Colin is he's open to new information, but he's very very smart about it. You know, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about you know because we worked with him the uh, week of Riv the week before, and he came in pretty much all week, and uh, and he's very open to 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 changing things in his body because he's not that word that it's gonna you know. He, he even said to Ryan, like, don't, don't, don't worry about it, you know, changing my swing because it's only going to improve things. Right. And so what we did physically was we had, you know, we hadn't seen Colin in a while. So it was more of, OK, let's see where we're at. We didn't do an assessment, but we kind of did an assessment uh, without him knowing just to check and make sure, OK, what what what's kind of gone back backwards you know, when we first saw Colin, hip mobility was was not where it needed to be, especially with with his move. I mean, so much mobility and such a great uh, golf swing with so much clearance. You know, so we we worked on you know Ryan worked on his feet a lot, and and Matt worked on kind of the basics, making sure that his muscles are firing, making sure that his hips is moving, um, his shoulder and and upper T spine is nice and extended and it's just a pleasure to work with and, and 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 so my message i guess is is you know golf fitness is really just about is your body prepared to to play at your level you know and it's you know and that doesn't matter if you're a beginner or call a markava like it's not about necessarily be about getting stronger and hitting it further this and that it's about is your body actually prepared to swing a golf club the way you swing a golf club. So you assess the body and you figure out, okay, is, is, this, is this body prepared to do so? And that's all we do. And then you just kind of control as many variables as you can. And we know exactly what those variables are for Colin, where that needs improvement. And we attack those. And we don't worry too much about everything else. It sounds, so that's kinda, it sounds so similar to you know, how Rick described putting you know, in a lot of ways. You're just preparing him to, to have the best opportunity for success. And just kind of teeing him up the best he can, and then he's got to go out and execute. Correct. Yeah. Correct. And 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 again, I thank the team at UGP so much because you know it's been kind of very wild uh, start of his career with him getting status and winning, and then we have pandemic and stuff like that. And and he sees the importance of maintaining the body just at maintenance level, yeah. right? With all the travel and him going to Dubai and back and like that. And I think it was a a big another wake up for him is like, hey, I need my body to show up the same way every single day. And that's more maintenance. So what you guys have done to help him with stuff he does at the hotel and the stuff he does exactly the same on the range and every single warm up is again, one more of those boxes you check to say, hey, I'm ready to go. And then as he now finally gets to see you guys in person, because it's been a wild schedule, he can then go, great. I can't wait to get into this more. I can't wait to get this left hip a little bit more, you know, flexible and open. Right. Mm -hmm. So he's going to take on those things. And, and again, I appreciate what you guys have done helping him along the way. And I'm, I'm really excited for, for the rest of this year. So yeah, what I'm told, sorry to interrupt there, but what I'm told is like, what, what's next? You know, that's, I, I, we, we keep, you know, even for us, we, you know, we're building the business. We're like, three look in there, like, all right, Blake's like, what's no, you know, what's next? Where, where are we going next? What's the big thing? So like unbelievable success for Colin, but you know, I, I I'm sure that the media is going to start saying, you know, Hey, like this guy's, you know, there's not a faster start other than Tiger Woods, really. I mean, it's like he is he is now not like, hey, does he have a place out there or is it just a one time? Like, it's like now it's like he's chasing history now. So, like, how do you temper that 
reality and, and talk about that with him? And what are your guys' goals and plans? Are they shifting from success? Do you stick to the plan? What are we, what are we looking at here? Yeah, no, it's a great question. I think we learned a lot as a team after the PGA. And I, I'm going to take a lot of the blame on this one. I was on cloud nine after the PGA. And uh, I'm thinking, oh my God, this is the this is awesome. And it was awesome. And I am so proud of him. And it was uh, the peak of my career as a coach. Yet he said it in media and I'm saying it to, that we got a little complacent with that. And it's like he achieved his goals. He wanted to win two times last year. He did. Workday and that. Great. Yeah, but you got uh, three more months left. Uh, you got a master's and you got some other stuff to look forward to. So again, he still works hard. Don't get me wrong. I don't know if he had the same intensity. And I, I think he said in media is that he he just thought when you're winning the PGA that now he's just going to play good all the time. And it just doesn't work that way. And so I think that rededicated him after the master's. We sat down and, and we talked and we talked about what we learned. And we learned that, hey, we were so, I think we were so excited about it. We didn't really prepare with the same intensity and have new goals for the end of the year. So we looked at that and then we looked for this next year. Now I'm not going to share all of his goals, but he's, he's, he's getting there already. So, but I know, you know, what's important for him is Ryder cup and the Olympics. So I think we look at per, from performance standpoint is that every quarter we are now going to look at goals. And so I'll see him at the players here in a couple of weeks. We'll certainly celebrate what he just did, get him ready for the players and be ready to win the players. But we look at performance goals, like with putting and short game, and we want to keep tightening up all those things. And I get feedback from JJ and we, and we all kind of work together as we go forward. So it's a, it's exciting, but I think tempering what other people think is, has never been an issue for him. It's great to be in these mixes of these great conversations, but he knows he just wants to get better every single week. And so the expect, wow, the awesome. expectation Rick is just to win every week then pretty much at this point. It, it is. He wants to be the number one player in the world. I know he's mentioned that. And I think it's more of not just to get to the number one player is you now sustain that. Right. Yeah. And that requires you showing up every flipping week. Yeah. And uh, there's so many damn good players out there. So I think uh, his success at the PGA and then just falling off a little bit in the fall was just a great reminder of how volatile this game could be. That's awesome. I have one last question. If there's any competitive juniors or players out there that are listening, does Colin play the the course or does he compete against his competitors? Like what is his focus? Cause he's so nice in person, but I know how competitive <laughs> he is. And he just like Savvy Ballesteros, he wants to bury you on the course. Like does he play against the players or the course? Um, I, I think it's a little bit of both. I think you have to at certain stages. I think it becomes course first. Let's just say it's 80% course. I mean, he can only control his own game and what his strategies are. Yeah. But he is he embraces looking at leaderboards. He know he wants to know where he stands. He wants to know combinations so he can make better decisions. And and you know, who knows yesterday, let's say it was just him and Horschel coming down the wire and he's playing with Horschel. I would think you're going to look at who you're playing against as as a reference of how you're going to push yourself and stuff like that. And I think yeah. he likes uh, he likes the com competition so much that he feeds off some of that too. And he he knows that. I think even you know talking to him Saturday night, he knows going into Sunday that there's a lot of good players that can get hot, mm -hmm. and you you just have to keep moving forward. It's not about protecting the lead. That's never the thing. It's moving forward. And that's what he does. Uh, really I love that. So, and it's so different of kind of how we grew up as junior golfers watching Tiger in some way, just kind of like this whole idea of being insulated out there. And I just love the way you're describing Colin and thinking about it. Like they sound like they're 
playing football or basketball. Like there's like they're they're all together, like all these players on the course, and there's all this action, and he's in the action versus like I'm just on my blinders, going to get my job done, do my work, and get you know and get through 18 and finish this thing. And if I play my game, I know it'll take care of itself. It's sort of like he's feeding off of everything that's happening around him, which you know sounds like a lot of fun actually. Yeah, and it's back to like the PGA where. You know, he admits he's on the 16th tee. He sees Paul Casey make birdie. That's in front of him. Paul Casey is a one-shot lead now. He's not going to like, I'm not supposed to think about other people. It's like, hey, I got some work to do. Somebody just jumped me. Let's go, mm-hmm. right? So I think he uses that as information. Again, he may not react to it in a way, but it's like, okay, game time. You can't tell me that if you had a three-shot lead with two to play, you're you're probably going to play different than if you're tied, right? So he takes the information in to say, what's the best strategy for this moment based on all these variables that are in front of me. He does a great job of that. The course rating was 155 and he shot 18 under par. He's a beast, man. (laughs) I mean, it's like there's, there's, if anybody wonders how good they they are and how good Colin is, and uh, there's a lot of levels under that of people that are trying uh, to play on the mini yes, tours. Yes. And it's just uh, mind boggling to see someone go 18 under on a course like that over four days. It's just unbelievable. As, that course looks looks scary to me. And they said something like the, the, the field was like 105 over. And then the but you had quite a few guys. I mean, just that really rose to the challenge and Colin separated himself. But it was an awesome tournament. I mean, there was some great golf out there. Yeah, definitely. It was. Well, thank you so much, Rick. This is awesome. And congrats to you. Incredible win. And uh, hopefully we'll do more of these. You bet. So yeah. we'll plan for right after the players. That, <laughs> that would be great. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right, guys, get All back right. to work. It's Monday. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, Rick. Thank, thank you so guys. much, man. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Take care. Bye. Bye.